There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. I'm super duper excited for today's guest. Unlike many of us who come from the performance side of the house, this is a guest uh, from the communications and more brand side of the house with something really uh, unique and compelling to, to share with us here today. He's been for many, many years at different roles. He was at various really impressive companies up and up leading until now, but currently he's vice president of corporate and brand marketing at Gainsight, uh, as well as an advisor at Audience Plus, which is a really cool uh, company as well. So I'm excited to speak with him. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the show. Jordan Share. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was, uh, I was just uh, looking at your Twitter right before here. I saw you were posting about ChatGPT, this like funny comic, which... Uh, which we might get into. I've been obsessed with ChatGPT lately. It's like really, really deep down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you can't not be. Uh, I open up Twitter uh, and I tell myself I am going to scroll past every ChatGPT best practice, every prompt, you know, notification. Yeah. I end up scrolling to the very bottom of Twitter because yeah. it has just completely taken over the conversation everywhere. Oh my goodness. It's yeah. crazy, man. So yeah, maybe we'll have a little bit of time to talk about that today. But before we do, you know what we're all about here. We're all about those secrets. So I really want to know, what's one of your best kept secrets for marketing success? Yeah, man. So I know that your audience is obsessed with uh, performance marketing, right? Uh, yeah. Demand generation and optimizing the sales cycle, optimizing uh, the DG funnel. Um, and I am here to say, my hot take is that uh, brand... Corporate marketing and earned media can do a lot to help the performance marketing team achieve its goals. Yeah. Um, I say that in two ways. So I'm going to get tactical and I'll get strategic. Okay, um, this is specifically um, with regard to earned media. So mm -hmm. issuing a press release, getting earned media attention, getting articles written, you know, getting it on blogs, whatever. Um, all of that helps with pipeline acceleration. From a tactical perspective. Um, earned media is one of the biggest contributors to search engine optimization available on a website. There's a heavy content marketing piece to it, absolutely. But when you look at the link quality of external sites that link back to your site, well, one of the biggest contributors of link quality is going to be earned media that links back to Gainsight, for example. Um, yeah. But also, I think more importantly, what people don't think about or remember is the power of the wires for distribution. So when you put something on the wires, when you issue a press release on the wires, um, you choose a wire service and that wire service uh, will post it on its own internal external wire service, but it will also um, amplify that news to all of the wire services that subscribe to that one wire service. So for example, I put something on business wire. Well, business wire will distribute it to the high-tech media corridor, which is the uh, the list that, that we use. So every magazine publication that subscribes to the high-tech media corridor, and that would include everything from TechCrunch um, to Wall Street Journal to Yahoo Finance, 
All of these will amplify that news. All of them do create backlinks back to your site, as well as the wire service itself, which can be a key contributor to organic awareness. So uh, I say that when you are trying to amplify um, your site's SEO metrics, issuing press releases is just a great ongoing long tail strategy. That's the tactical piece. Mm -hmm. Strategically, um, earned media also does a great job in pipeline acceleration. So as we know nowadays, most of your target audience do not take a linear path from awareness to close when it comes to a deal cycle. They move in and out, right? They do a little bit of their own research. They look at review sites. At least this is on the B2B side. Um, they uh, you know, move in and out of uh, uh, conversations with the sales team. They're doing their yeah. due diligence. And yeah. so part of that due diligence strategy will be continuing to check on how is your company being perceived in the media? How is your company being perceived in analyst relations? So at any moment in that deal cycle, some of that earned media strategy is going to help amplify your brand and move a deal through the pipeline because it creates credibility. Yeah. So I think that some companies who just look at a press release, issuing a press release as just making some news or making an announcement to be short-sighted. I'll also say that I think using PR for that strategy of just announcing news tends to undercut what you're trying to go for. Um, because the spoiler alert is that the press doesn't read a press release. Yeah, They, they must get 100 press releases a day, the journalists you're trying to target. Mm -hmm. And so when you issue those releases, I would urge the audience to think more in terms of how can this accelerate your performance marketing strategy and what else can it do across all of your tactics to really you know, get some folks into your pipeline and accelerate their journey to the, the, the closing of the deal. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And I know, so I'm an old school SEO. That's how I got my start as an SEO. And I know, you know, press releases were certainly a staple back then. Uh, they'd since like, like, certainly I think a lot of SEOs are still doing uh, press releases. Uh, but I didn't, well, it hasn't been a core part of my uh, approach. And I think it's just because there was a perception that like the effectiveness had waned over time, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you're hinting at like, maybe there's a strategy to write press releases that are interesting and would actually get picked up. Cause before back in the day, like we would just write a press release, like about anything, like it would be stupid. Like you almost don't even read. It's like you use chat GPT to write it and like, you don't even yeah. care what it says. Yeah. You just wanted that backlink, but it sounds like, it sounds like, or you are at least hinting. It sounded like, at, you know, there is a way to potentially get it read and to potentially use that press release to position, to position your brand and yourself. Um, I, yes. So I do think that you should always write a press release with a focus on brand evangelism, for sure. Yeah, um, I do think that using press releases to drive traffic back to core components of your website is still a tried and true strategy. It remains a tried and true strategy. And I also think that, um, let's say you have, let's say you're a startup, you're a zero to one startup, and you're trying to make the best use of an investment in content you know, to drive organic awareness to your site and you have enough money to spend on issuing press releases or creating content marketing, I actually think, maybe this is my hot take, that investing in writing press releases that are built for awareness, built for organic SEO, 
is a better strategy in modern search uh, in modern search than specific content marketing. Um, I think that blog traffic, at least to Gainsight, has gone down dramatically. Um, that the use of gated content is gone down, like the the effectiveness of gated content has gone down, and yeah. yet uh, the awareness value of a press release kind of endures. It's kind of hit, you, it has declined over the years, but I do think it's hit a basement where we see a sharp a, a sharper and steeper decline for some of these other techniques. And so, yeah. if you have a, a small pool of money, you can't invest in everything. Yeah, investing in press releases still remains a great wide ranging strategy for awareness. Yeah, and it's not expensive. I mean, I think it's like a couple hundred bucks to post it and then you write it. But um, are there any types of press releases, like in terms of the content of the press release, that you've yeah. Not to be more effective than other types. Yeah. So best practices of press releases are always, if you can get specific about product news with benefits, that's important. Um, if you can get customer validation, get a customer quote in there, get a quote from a big company as big as you can make it, mm-hmm. get that customer to also evangelize the press release. If they yeah. can use their network, that's great. Mm-hmm. See, that's um, brilliant. See, that's... Yeah. So I like this because I like how you broke it down between strategy and tactics. And I generally love techniques or secrets that have both a strategic and a tactical. I call it layers. Like there's layers to that, Mm. but that is a sexy layer right there. Like if you, let's say that you close a large deal with like a well-known company, putting a press release out about that could have layers because then as somebody is shopping and Googling you, you know, if they see that IBM hired you, for instance, then that that's like validation right there. Great. Yeah, that's perfect. And I would also say, so let's let's assume, let's go back to the IBM example. If you get IBM, they will and they give you marketing approval rights, obviously. Um, I would also ask when you ask for the logo rights and the quote, if they would um be willing to meet with the press at the time of the issuance of the release. Mm-hmm. Um because for two reasons. Number one it is again great credibility. If that, if something can get published, obviously you want to be aligned with that big customer. But number two, uh, reporters are more likely to do, to create, to write about deals that have closed when there is a customer that can speak to the the value of your product. Like yeah, that is money in the bank. Depending on your, you know, your pitching strategy out to the the press community you will have a much higher incidence of getting coverage if you can align yourself with a customer who is willing to speak to the press in your path. Totally, totally. And um, if we zoom out just a little bit uh, to look at earned media in general, I fully agree with you. Like, I think it can be a powerful arsenal uh, as a pipe driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other Uh, thought that just came up was uh, like from a community aspect. So like I I know some community managers or community marketers that are just absolutely killing it with some community strategies where like they'll put on dinners or they'll put on events or they'll do interesting stuff. But like, I feel like press releases could be particularly valuable anytime you're doing something interesting like think about a company like Gainsight, like you guys have access to massive amounts of user data, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you you probably already like publish 
you know, this or that type of study, or you do this, this or that type of study, or this or that type of survey, you can involve customers in that. And then I feel like a press release about that. Like if you put out a survey that was like, Hey, we asked, you know, a thousand customer success leaders, these questions. I'm like, here's this really cool survey. Like that might actually get picked up and like written about on a tech crunch or like on a relevant. It's a, so this is a great point. So you're talking about a broader press, like earn media strategy here. So to answer your question, um, I, I love this conversation. Yes, yeah. we do issue a number of surveys throughout the year. There are both internal examples of this where we reach out to our community of founders or our community of users or our community of um you know, profession, our professional network, for example, Gainsight runs a huge community um, aligned around customer success. And a lot of times we do survey those audiences for data. Yeah. Um, we also do external stuff, right? Where we'll just hire a third party research firm. They'll do a survey on our behalf. We'll work with them on the results and we'll publish it into um, a CS index. We um, issue an annual CS index. Yeah. Uh, that is the number one contributor that CS index is the number one contributor to both uh, pipeline from a content perspective. So, you know, we write tons of eBooks. We do a, a lot of other infographics and blogs, whatever, but the CS index is our number one contributor to pipeline mm-hmm. from a content perspective. And it is our number one contributor to coverage because we also are trying to elevate the industry. And the fact that we use a third party to administer this, res- this research for us creates credibility in the mind of the press, right? They love third-party research. So we do get a lot of coverage and a lot of value out of that. Um, The way that we, I mean, going back to your original opening, um, the way that Gainsight kind of galvanizes our community to help with, um, you know, overall brand awareness is uh, primarily through these events. And if you're familiar at all with Gainsight, you might be familiar with our conference called Pulse, uh, which is run in San Francisco annually, and there is one in Europe as well. It is the world's largest conference on customer success, and it is purely a community um, activity. Mm-hmm. So we do a, a, a small portion of it is for feature releases, capabilities, updates, you know, things about things that we're thinking about. But mostly, it is to drive community. Mm-hmm. You come, you have a good time, you network, you meet other people, um, you meet Nick. Uh, our CEO, who is wildly popular in the customer success community, but more so you take part in this overall brand evangelism. Yeah, Um, It it works great for us because it does amplify our brand across the whole CS community. You know, people are incentivized to bring their friends. So even if you're a user of Gainsight, you know somebody else who would really have a great time at Pulse, you bring them along. And it creates this network effect of coverage. Yeah, totally. Um, So I would say that Community strategy is probably more powerful for Gainsight than our even our earned media strategy. Sometimes we make the joke internally that um, Gainsight is an events company that sometimes masquerades as a software platform. Yeah, we just we want to we want to get the community get together, man. We want them to have a good time. We want them to understand that we get where they are. We want to see professional development. You know, uh, we want people to uplevel their careers. All of that stuff. Yeah. I'm a champion for the industry that way. I'm super duper excited for today's guest. He is um, a little bit different than most guests that we have, and that he's a little bit younger, and he's uh, he's still, I think, very much uh, like hands on in platform, and he's like, which is 
good in that he's he's like up to date with the latest and greatest but uh, i feel really excited about talking with him because i think we're going to get really geeky on you really quickly and uh he his specialties are in paid media digital he's a digital marketing expert um demand generation and demand capture are his game uh and he's got uh, a couple of really exciting secrets to share with us um but he has a you know a really uh impressive career for his age and trajectory so far he's worked with gong and sales loft currently he's uh director of demand gen at user gems and he is isaac Ware, ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show isaac hey how you doing I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, I am super duper excited to be speaking with you today. And and fresh back from Cancun, I was just on vacation, so I'm fresh back, and I'm looking to get geeky, brother. Looking I'm excited. It's uh, we'll have some good technical stuff in here, so we'll uh, we'll dive into some some details. Nice. All right. Well, let's start off. You know our audience is all about those secrets. Our goal here is to impart value. We wanna, we wanna give, and I know you have multiple secrets, but I want you to share one of your best kept, closest kept secrets with the audience here today, with the intention and the mindset of like imparting value. Tell us what it is. Definitely. So my secret, especially um, end of twenty twenty two, beginning twenty twenty three, is multi threading. Um, so we all know multi-threading on the sales side of things. It's been a, been a playbook for, for decades. It's always been a thing. Um, but marketers need to start doing it. Um, we started running this, especially on paid media. Um, basically what we're doing is multi-threading by persona through paid media. So, what so we're do doing me a favor, really just define yeah, multi-threading really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So multi-threading. Um, is pulling other people from the company into the deal. Um, a lot of the time, it's trying to pull other personas you need into that deal in order for it to close. So having multiple contacts. So you're not just talking to you know the sales buyer. You're also talking to the CFO or the COO or somebody in those different capacities. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. And a lot of okay. the time too, especially. Well, you think that's now. common sense, right? But but there's yeah. a lot of marketers I think that don't know you know, or that aren't that familiar with multi-threading myself included. Like I just heard that term probably a year or two ago, you know? So, okay. Yeah. So multi-threading is having multiple contacts within a deal and it increases your chance of closing that deal dramatically. Dramatically. Yeah. So that's why we started leaning into it in the first place is our RevOps ran a bunch of machine learning tests on every single one of the deals we were running um, or all the deals we had closed and found it was about a five times higher close rate when we when we had more than five people involved in those deals. Um, we at User Gems need marketing, sales, rev ops in these deals. Um, and those buying groups are getting bigger and bigger. I mean, we've seen some of our customers' buying groups get up into that 13 mark sometimes. Um, so these buying groups are getting bigger. So multi-threading is more important than ever. Wow. So you had five times. So instead of a 10% close rate, it was a 50% close rate. R way higher. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So is that the secret is just like to multi-thread or what? Yeah. So the, the secret isn't that is, isn't just multi-threading. So multi-threading has always been a thing on the sales side. So we wanted to pull that in on the marketing side as well. Um, we have all this data sitting in our CRM over at user gems where we're pulling these, we're surfacing these buying groups into our CRM. They're just sitting there ready for sales to use. 
we wanted to accelerate these deals on the marketing side of things. So we wanted to run a split test. So we started running some of these ads before the split test and we started seeing little bits of traction um, where we would start seeing these mentioned in the sales calls. We'd start seeing these mentioned on um, Slack screenshots from the other company of people seeing these ads out there saying, hey, we're talking to your team about X. Do you want to join the deal? So we started seeing some of these non-demo request actions being taken, whether that's sending it to somebody else in the company, asking about it. Um, and we kind of started seeing it accelerate deals a little bit more. So we really wanted to run a split test around this. So we took half of all of our contacts in our CRM, half of the others. And what we did is we actually assigned a value in Salesforce for them. So we had a one, two, three, and a four, and we split test ones and twos got multi-threading, threes and fours did not. Um, because we had to do it this way too, because it's a really tough thing to capture just with demo requests or things like that, because there's a lot of the, the dark social, um, going on in the background Yeah, that prevents you from having some of the normal, like split test criteria. Okay. So, so what did you do exactly with the ones and the twos? So you in so you said hey we're going to multi-thread the ones and the twos what does that mean like from an in-platform perspective what did you actually do definitely um so on the salesforce side i'll kind of walk through from audience to the actual ads on the audience side what we did is we had that ones and twos marked we also divided those up by persona so for us that's sales marketing and rev ops we created campaigns for sales marketing rev ops within linkedin and what we did is we had a dynamic audience that was constantly refreshing in linkedin that as soon as an opportunity opened up, we had a report built for each one of those where it said, there's an opportunity opened up, it's an ICP account, and their marketing pushed them into this audience. So as soon as that happened, um, UserGem surfaces that buying committee for us, pushes that into the audience. Now we're serving them ads saying, hey, RevOps, and then you insert specific pain point to that persona. We did that mm -hmm. for marketing, sales, and RevOps to pull them into the deal. So it's like, hey, RevOps, like, are you spending thousands of hours? So do you mention in the ad that they're in pipe for you? Yeah. So these ads, we we have it say, hey, marketing. So we're calling out, we call out the persona right away. And then right under that, we're saying your company told user gems that they want to hit their pipeline goals faster. Or we just play, plain say, hey, your company's talking with user gems. Do you want to join the next call? So we have kind of a mix oh, of wow. pain-specific pain ones, and we have more call-to-action-focused um, call-to-actions on some of those. So they see those ads, and they're like, "What do you mean, my company? Like my company is yeah. talking to user gems? Like, oh, I've just I've heard of user gems, and they're, yeah. you know, this is weird. really cool. Like, this this is a relevant ad for me. Yeah. And, and what, what we started doing? Are you yeah, using just sponsored content ads, or are these combo ads where you can you can like dynamically insert the your company and the industry or what have you? So we tested combo ads, and combo ads for us are a huge pipeline driver on the other side of things um, for demo requests. But for some reason, for multi-threading, was not nearly as impactful. Um, and my thought with it ended up being around frequency. With in-feed ads, you're able to just just absolutely blast frequency. You can have a wide variety yeah. of them. They see you all the time. Um, and that became especially important with personas like CFO. So we have a separate multi-thread campaign for CFOs where a lot of the time CFOs are blockers. So you don't necessarily want to say, hey, your team's talking with us. Do you want to join the deal? Because the AEs are going to lose their mind if you have CFOs just constantly trying to join deals. 
Um, so what you do in that situation is you don't call out that they're talking with you, but you really have heavy social proof as soon as the opportunity opens up. So testimonials from other CFOs, talk to your AEs, find out what CFOs are saying on calls as why they don't want to go forward and put that into the ad copy or objections or pain points and things like that around that persona without actually pulling them into the deal. So mm-hmm. the people that can help accelerate deals, pull them in. The people that won't accelerate and will sometimes be blockers, just social proof them. Got it. Got it. So let me summarize for uh, for the audience, basically. Multi-threading, if you're a sales person or a revenue-oriented CMO, multi-threading is smart because instead of having just a single contact or just two contacts within an individual deal that's in your pipeline, you're going to have multiple. So what Isaac's team does is essentially uh, replicates and scales that on the marketing side of things. So instead of your salespeople manually reaching out and manually making contacts with these different individuals, it's like an automatic trigger reaction. Like right when they enter your pipeline, then they're added to an audience on LinkedIn and they're automatically delivered these ads, which are, you know, very choreographed and very specific to that persona and the stage of pipeline that they're in. Meaning that the CFOs might not get a message that's like, hey, join the call. But like the RevOps team will get that message that's like, join a call. The CFO will get instead, you know, uh, testimonials from other CFOs or other types of social proof. So that's fire, man. That's awesome. I'm super excited for today's guest. Uh, She is a badass marketer, uh, has been doing it for many, many years, and she's an expert at uh, leveraging engagement strategy to drive demand. And throughout her career, she's developed specialties in content design, market research, and campaign execution. So really kind of uh, that unicorn type that we love having on the show. She's currently Executive Vice President of Marketing at Field Nation, uh, which is a really interesting IT um, staffing and service provider. And uh, she is Brianna Belial. Welcome to the show, Brianna. Thank you, Chris. So excited to be here with you. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to dive in. It's a beautiful day here in the Washington, uh, Baltimore area. But um, yeah, it's an exciting time to be alive and an exciting time to be a marketer, especially. Well, absolutely. It is not as nice here. We are in Minneapolis and we are getting rain as opposed to snow, which is outside, yeah. but we're, man, spring could get here faster. Oh man, I feel for you. Well, here, I'll open my window in a second. You can see some of, you can at least see a little sunshine from there. Sounds great. But Brianna, let's dive right in. You know, our audience is all about those secrets. Um, You've had an amazing career, and I'm curious if you would share with us one of your best kept secrets to your marketing success. Yeah. So, you know, as marketers, in a lot of ways, we're also strategists, right? And so for, for me, there's a mantra that I use to ground myself to make sure that I'm executing on what matters most to our prospects. Mm -hmm. And the mantra is solve the boring but urgent problem. And I can break that down for you. Okay. Let's start with boring because it can be kind of like, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, in marketing, there's always like the new and exciting topic. And as marketers and as strategists, strategists, we naturally kind of gravitate towards those concepts. Yeah. 
for me, the boring aspect of this is it helps me to remember it doesn't have to be sexy to be important mm-hmm. to the that we seek to serve. And there is a place for concepts and kind of the new and better thing in your marketing mix. Yeah, but if yeah. you're not solving for that thing that's keeping your prospect up at night, um, you can uh, win the battle and lose the war in a lot of ways. So totally. The easiest thing to do as a marketer is to just get really busy by chasing all of the shiny objects. So I love that message. Like the, the focus on, I've never heard it necessarily called boring though. It is boring, but like the focus on that block and tackle, just the things that you have to do. But I'm interested in the second part of that statement about like, what's an example of something that's boring. That's also keeping your customers up at night. Yeah. I think urgent is also sometimes hard to see, right? Like there's, the difference between the someday problem and the now problem. And something that I keep coming back to is the difference between a critical event or a compelling event. And a critical event is something that's costing time, money, or customers now. And in the current economy, those are the types of problems companies are looking to solve for. The compelling event can draw you in though, right? Like you can you can have a conversation with a prospect, you can be talking about a particular concept and it feels like you're making progress, but unless you can tie it back to something that's happening now, you can spend a lot of time on that particular topic and not result in a lot of ROI. Yeah. And it it forces you to to get really specific on your target audience too, right? Like here is the problem we're solving. Here's why it's urgent for a very specific subset of folks now. And here's why it matters to them more than anything, even if it doesn't seem to be top of mind in the broader market. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, pain. if somebody's experiencing pain, um, they're probably going to make a purchase and you know all things considered versus if somebody's like desiring something new or novel the purchase likelihood is way less so that's yeah that's a really interesting um concept so as uh as folks are listening here i think marketers are all at some point guilty of chasing shiny objects of doing stuff like i can't tell you how often uh, I'll be speaking with a prospect or somebody and they're doing things they have, like they're posting on social media, but it's, you know, kind of tired. Like it's not really getting much engagement, but they do it religiously. And if you suggest that maybe they stop doing it or maybe they do it a different way there. But um, what, so if somebody's listening right now and they're and they're thinking to themselves, man, I could really use a dose of that like i need to focus on the boring but important the day-to-day more effectively like what's a step they could take in that direction it's such a great question you know i think it's good to just go back to the critical business problem your solution solves better than anybody else Mm -hmm. and then qualify it against those two things is it urgent is, and are you clear on who it's urgent for right now? And are you speaking to that? 
And then challenge yourself whether or not you're talking about the bright, shiny object or you're talking about the real pain that's keeping them up at night. It might be boring to you, might be boring because you've had it on repeat, but likely if you've got the right problem and you've got the right audience, it will matter enormously to them. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. How did you come up with this? Or like, did you have some experiences throughout your career that like drew you to this conclusion? I made the mistake a number of different times. I think, you know, I, I've heard pieces of the statement over and over. And what I find is that the gravitational force of like the new topic, one of the ones that we run, we, we wrangle a lot with is service delivery transformation. And like all of our energy and effort, like just starts to gravitate towards talking about the concept in market. And so what helps me just get us back centered and focused on where we're going to actually move the needle in terms of providing, you know, sales ready opportunities for our partners is being critical on like, is this the boring, the urgent problem? Is this now and is it what is most relevant to them? Or is it yeah. what I want to be talking about? I think that's the the piece that I, I constantly have to grapple with. No, I hear you. Well, um, I'm going to take a dose of that medicine myself. I'm going to stop talking about ChatGPT and the future of AI and start talking about the problems that are actually affecting our clients. Uh, starting today, you've inspired me. Thank you. We've got a very exciting guest for you who is uh, actually, one of the top three marketers on LinkedIn, uh, recognized in 2020 as one of the top 10 SaaS branding experts, uh, one of the founding members are heavily involved in the peak community, uh, among other communities like this guy's just everywhere. He's a content machine. He is an amazing speaker. Like he, He's got his LinkedIn. You should check out his LinkedIn profile. It's like fully, fully optimized like to the hills. Um, but has won many, many awards for content creation as well as speaking. And really at the end of the day, uh, he's an amazing marketer. He uh, helps businesses drive measurable results uh, primarily through social. He is currently chief marketing officer at Agora Pulse, which is an exciting uh, outfit out of France, actually, I learned um, that I'm excited to talk about. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome Daryl Prale to the show. My friend, thank you so much for having me here. I am just delighted, thrilled, tickled, and excited that I, that I, I and you know, throw any more adjectives in there you want to, but I genuinely am excited. Let's I do this today. You have an awesome camera presence. Um, are you, is your background in uh, TV or film? Like, have you been in broadcasting or anything like that? Uh, so funny you asked that. So no, I don't, I, I'm a computer programmer by trade. If you go back really? way back when, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, I did have my own agency, my own marketing agency for 10 years, and we just made a boatload of money doing podcasts, video live streams. But why it's so funny is because my son, who's now 28 years old, who said there was no way in hell he was ever going to follow me in my footsteps. Uh, he is a network television news anchor. So I like to tell him that the only reason he's there is because of, of uh, of my influence on him and without me he's nothing and it's amazing how he he rejects that it's weird how that is but there you go (laughs) 
Nice. Well, Daryl, let's cut right to the chase. You know, our audience loves secrets. We're all about those secrets. Tell us what's one of the best kept, one of your best kept secrets to marketing success. Like how are you winning over and over again? Okay. So here we go. Organizational culture, team culture is absolutely everything. And if you do not get that right from the beginning, then you are destined for failure. That's how I've had success. I've learned that the hard way, which means there were failures before there were success. You never understand the power of the team. Individuals can make you successful and individuals can poison the well and bring everybody else down. Yeah. There's lots there's lots of conversations around this, you know, if you look at uh the book Friction and it talks about the enterprise operating system. It asks some core questions around people such as do is this the right person in the right seat? That's a cliche, but it's so true. Do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? These are all aspects you need to understand about building the team. And at the end of the day, for you as a leader to build that team, to have the success you want, because you are only as good as your weakest link, means that you yourself need to be a rock star in communication. You need to hold your team accountable. And if they do not achieve those expectations that you're holding them accountable to, then there needs to be consequences. You cannot delay and keep hoping that they will eventually figure it out because the more they delay, the more you're telling the rest of the team that it's okay to miss those goals. Yeah. And then you need to, you need to reward them with career development, progression, skills, capabilities. And you do that, that builds loyalty. And if you do all of that, you will be successful. But here's the caveat. They never, ever teach you the skills to do that as you grow through your career, you grow through your career being a tactician, being someone who can execute. But the minute you're in leadership, it's a completely different set of skills. So if you yourself aspire for this, or you find yourself struggling with this, it's likely that you've not developed your own skills and you got to develop your own skills before you can lead a team to success. Brilliant. Love it. There's a lot to unpack there. It is a very common, uh, topic you know people are always talking about culture each strategy for breakfast kind of uh things uh you seem to really know a thing or two about it i feel like people pay a lot of lip service to the culture thing but it from the way that you're speaking i can tell that you've sort of been there done that i would love it if you could tell us because you'd said that you'd failed in the past and that's probably like <laughs> kind of how yeah but i'd love if you could tell us like what the failure story looked like sort of what you learned and then what excellent looks like in your mind so I failed on more than one occasion. I failed my, my friend, I have failed so many times. It's like, I should get like an award. I may be the top three marketer, but I'm like the number one failure and how I still have a job. I do not know because of that. Thankfully I'm surrounded by leaders who have given me grace, which is of course what we want to do to our own employees. So what have I, the mistakes I have made, the, there's probably a couple of mistakes I've made and I can give you story after story of it, but it, the recurring theme is this one. I did not adequately communicate my expectations to the employee in a way that was measurable and, and, and trackable for lack of a better way. So in other words, if I were to say something like, I need you to 
um, uh, increase our market share in this industry by 20%. And the end of the year comes by, what have you, and it's time for a bonus maybe. And what happens is you say, okay, uh, you didn't do it. They say, yes, I did. And all of a sudden you sort of realize what it was, was I, I might've been looking at it from maybe customers. They could be looking at it from revenue. They could be looking at it from impressions just in, in, you know, in the noise. And all of a sudden you have this disconnect and you say, well, I'm sorry, I was viewing it from customers. Therefore, you don't get your bonus. Then that creates negative, uh, a, a negative re- response, which then means their performance drops. And all of a sudden, you, and then the other employees think, well, you screwed so-and-so out of their bonus and they did awesome. And then you, then you have a team revolt on you and you go, shit. And it was all because I wasn't clear on what success looks like in their job and how that's measured. And I didn't yeah. get them to sign off on it. That's the first part. The second part, when you define what success looks like as far as key deliverables and metrics, then you can hold them accountable to it. And this is the second mistake I made over and over again. As I say to friends, in my 30s, I made this mistake. In my 50s, I don't make this mistake. And the mistake is this. It's like, think about it from a sales point of view, but it's equally applicable to marketing. If I say to a sales rep, this is the quota you need to hit. And I say, you've got two quarters to hit it. First quarter is a ramp up. Second quarter is the actual execution. If you don't hit it, then I should let you go and say, you underperformed our expectations. I'm going to replace you. Same goes to marketing. You need to generate X number of leads if that's their role. They're in demand generation. Or you need to have X number of uh, stories in the press, if that's what you're doing, or you need to grow our social media presence, followers, like shares by, you know, X, whatever you pick your thing, give them a timeline, one quarter, two quarter, whatever it be. There's a point halfway through that when you can measure it, you can say, let's have a sanity check. How you doing? If it's not happening, you need to put in corrective behaviors. Cause if you don't and rely upon them to do it, you soon learn that was a mistake because they don't have the life skills and the experience to correct. Cause if they had those life skills and experience, they wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. And then when that timeline comes and they didn't hit it, now you're at a moment of what do I do as a leader? And what I tended to do in my thirties was I'd give them another couple months. I give them another couple quarters. And then also before you know it, it's been a year, it's been a year and a half and, and nothing's changed. And you really wanted it for them. And I started to realize in my thirties that I wanted it more than they wanted it. But what's really important here to understand is at this point in time, a year or a year and a half have gone by and you are so far behind on your deliverable that it reflects back upon you as a leader. And even if you replace that person tomorrow, the next person is going to need another two quarters to get up to speed, which means you'll be two years behind and chances are you're going to be fired. It affects the team. It affects the morale. If I don't hold that person accountable, the rest of the team starts to realize they're not being held accountable. So they start blowing it. So the whole point I learned in the holding people accountable thing is to set clear expectations, to set clear deadlines, and if necessary, cut bait sooner rather than later. So now when I eventually let people go for performance reasons, it's not a knock against them. As I say to them, you're just not a good fit here. You may be a good, great fit somewhere else, but based on how we're measured, based on how we perform, based on how I'm measured, based on how the board looks at us, this isn't working out. That does a couple of things. That tells the rest of the organization that you're very serious. 
that tells the rest of your team that there's consequences if they do not perform. And what the thing that blew my mind the most when I started doing this was how many of my team started coming out of the woodwork and saying, I'm so glad you did that because that person was pulling us all back. They were whining behind their scenes. They felt like a victim. And because you did that, I now know that you're building a high-performance team and I want to be part of a high-performance team. And boom, you've now created the culture that you want, a culture of accountability, a culture of clear communication, a culture of clear expectations, and a culture of high-performance. That's what you want. So there we go. That's my story. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.